you like books or movies or TV shows or songs with lyrics? You know, things that were created by writers? Of course you do. Do you like watching people type? I doubt it. Do you like hearing people tell you about how they came up with the things they type? Maybe. And there are lots of shows like that. But this isn't one of them. Do you ever procrastinate? Writers do too. So if you've ever enjoyed a great book or film or TV show or song or poem, and you thought, I'll bet the woman who wrote this epic high fantasy TV series, or the guy who wrote this funny queer sci-fi novel, or the person who writes this punch-you-in-the-gut poetry would be really fun to hang out with, and I'd like to hear them confess their bad not-writing habits. You're in the right not-writing place. I'm Benjamin Gorman, and the quiet guy behind the glass there is Doug the producer. Hey, Doug. I write novels and collections of poetry and stuff. And Doug does his best to try to make me sound better. From Not A Pipe Publishing, welcome to Writers Not Writing. This week's secret word, and you'll want to listen for this, is the word present. Because, you know, the holiday season. So listen for the word present. Welcome to Writers Not Writing. Today's guest is Marie Parks. By day, she's a content strategist and copywriter for small businesses and authors. By night, she's disappearing into her writing, which takes place in fantasy worlds. All of this happens in the magical, enchanting land of New Mexico, where Marie lives with her two rescue dogs. And I want to brag a little bit more about Marie. Uh, speaking of New Mexico, Marie Parks and her writing partner, Jesse Annard, won the New Mexico and Arizona Book Award for Best LGBT Novel with their debut, Unrelenting. Uh, it had previously won the book Pipeline Unpublished Contest, and that's how I became aware of it the first time. So writers, that book Pipeline Contest works. Um, and everybody, you need to get a hold of Unrelenting to find out why it's getting so much critical attention, because it's fantastic. So congratulations, Marie, uh, and thank you for being on the show today. Thank you so much, Ben. Um, yeah, I mean, we're uh, we're super fans, Jesse and I being we, not like the royal we, <laughs> of, of Not a Pipe, of you and Vivica, and um, just the way you all operate, and um yeah, it's it's honestly been such an honor to be part of the Not a Pipe family. Well, and I can tell you committed to the bit because you went full out in terms of your costume for today. So one of the things we do before we uh, before we you know get into the topics uh, of of how we procrastinate is share with everybody how we dressed up. And of course, the folks watching on YouTube can see this, but for those who are listening to the podcast, how did you dress up today for the show? Well, um, I'm wearing my very best pinstripe suit today um, because one of my current projects when I'm not, you know, working or working on my novels um, is I'm collaborating on creating an in-person murder mystery dinner party at a local speakeasy. It's sort of 1920s style. So I've got a lovely little cravat here and, um, you know, a little peacock feather in my hair for a little extra flair, but I'm, I'm committing to, to that look uh to get ready for that project i like what you've done with the pocket square and now and did you have to I, i've only worn a pocket square in a suit one time before and i admit i had to look it up on youtube did you have to look up how to fold it in that way with the like three ridges like that 
Yes, I did. Um, and I got it wrong like 17 times. Of course. Yes. Yes. People <laughs> yeah, make it look very days. easy in their short video. Oh, it's no problem. It's, you know, here's this little <laughs> fabric origami that you're doing. But well, you look fantastic. That is an awesome Thank costume. You. Um, Thank you. Uh, I went with a white tux because I wanted to go with kind of a similar vibe, but with the uh, uh, band leaders of that era, you know, the 20s band leader. And I didn't think about the fact that a person as pale as I am should never, ever wear a white tux. I am just an enormous white blob. This is not a good look for me. So uh, those of you who are listening to the podcast, you know, bald white guy in a white tux, not a good look. So you're you're not missing anything. Give yourself some credit. I think you look very dapper. Well, and you. Um, you know, I mean, if you really want to commit to the all white, like maybe it's a haunted speakeasy. I don't know. Oh, yes. Yes. I've got the ghost band leader thing down. <laughs> yes. Well, and, and I used to, I mean, for some contrast, I had a beard shaved that off because the band leaders the look was you know i saw i went with this little thin mustache yes. painted on mustache and uh and you know that's whenever i shave my beard i always regret it like immediately like why did i do that and so i'm sure tomorrow i'll start back on the process of growing the beard out but uh, yeah folks can envision uh, i've got the the thin pencil pencil mustache and just the palest human being in the history of whiteness. So it's, it's pretty gross. Um, Very committed. No, you look great. You look great. Oh, thank you. Uh, okay, so this is a show about not writing. So when you, uh, this last week, as you have been not writing, what movie, you know, pop culture, what's been uh, getting in the way of your writing this week? Yeah, um, very distractible person. Um, I, I actually have two things. Um, one is I just discovered this like two days ago. Uh, it's a video game called House Flipper Game. It's <laughs> so it sounds. Um, but but what's <laughs> well, what's been a little bit more enduring of a distraction this week is um, I um, I decided to start watching um, Shadow and Bone on Netflix because you know one of those people is like I want to read the book first so I still haven't actually read Shadow and Bone but I did read Six of Crows and I did read Crooked Kingdom earlier this year and loved them um and so I was like okay now I have permission because at least I know like half of the story <laughs> so, so and I've watched the show but I've not read the books either are Six okay. of Crows and Crooked Kingdom same universe but before Yes. Okay. So basically like uh, in in the TV show, there's sort of two plot lines happening. You already know this, Ben, because you've seen the show. But if anyone's like listening or watching and they don't aren't familiar with it, um, there's sort of two plot lines. There's one that's sort of a YA, um, you know, special girl has special abilities <laughs> right. um, and could save the world. Um, and then there's another plot line that's a heist. Um, and so Six of Crows and Crooked Kingdom are the heist crew. Oh, um, okay. Yes. Which say, why would is... they choose as a TV show to not start at the beginning? But they, because the stories are split and simultaneous, right. they choose I don't... to tell both, you know, stories on the show. Right. Um, that um, is, I, I really enjoyed that show. I like the premise yeah. of the world, that idea, and I'm still not sure on the geography this is when you know you're a fantasy nerd i was like i need a map <laughs> i want a map yes. i want to be able to flip to the front is the, yes. the kind of magical wall between the kingdoms or on the edge of the world or how does that function in that universe i don't know how to answer this question because the wall is if it's mentioned 
in those two books, it plays no role, and I completely forgot about it. Okay, because um, it's, it's really, so like, important in the in the series. Yes, you know who can traverse yeah. this magical barrier and i was right. like is are they looking for like a northern passage but it's blocked off by this magical event or is this straight down the middle in the middle of this kind of empire and and mm -hmm. so i was like i need to i need a map i need a map yeah um six of crows they do travel um but they're not looking for special girl uh they go to a completely different it's like a completely different heist but it's the same cast of characters and some of the same you know tropes and and things like that happening so um yeah they definitely took some liberties with it but uh that's the part I'm living for personally it's like anytime Kaz and his crew come on I'm like yes they're the people <laughs> I know well and it would have been really fun to write to take a series that was written in that way and to use a whiteboard like you've got in your office and try and figure out how are we going to connect these uh, yeah. You know, that that would have been, uh, I would have loved being in that writer's room. How are we going to make know. these two, you know, work? I mean, it could be the shadow and bone answers all those questions. Neither of us have read it yet, but. Uh, I know, yeah, I'm not, I do have it. So, I, you know, maybe that'll be my next read. So what about you? What's been distracting you this week? Uh, so Crystal convinced me the other day to watch Longshot, which is, have you ever seen Longshot? No. So it's uh, Charlize Theron and Seth Rogen. And I am not a particularly big Seth Rogen fan. But my crush on Charlize Theron, you know, makes up for it. And it turns out that's exactly Crystal's response before she saw it the first time, too, was she was like, uh, Seth Rogen. But she also has a crush on Charlize Theron. So that that worked for both yeah. of us. And yes. Seth Rogen doesn't play quite the same giggling pothead character he always plays. So that that was he plays the smart version of Seth Rogen, which I really liked to I see. Uh, and, and yet there's still some laugh out loud physical humor and uh, and a lot of well-delivered snappy dialogue. And it ended up being a lot better than I expected. So I went in very skeptical. OK, I'm going to be you know, rom-coms <laughs> normally aren't my thing anyway. And I was like, uh um, but this one ends up being very, very funny. So yeah, check out Longshot. It's it is worth your time. Awesome. I mean, I'm not surprised that Crystal has good taste. So <laughs> yes. Well, uh, and Charlize, do you know Charlize Theron is? And I'm not sure if I pronounced her name correctly. So is it Theron Theron? I'm not sure. I've, I've, you know, she is. A, I've, I've only read about her, but she is a full on genius. Her IQ is like 140 something. She's brilliant. Whoa. And that comes through when you, I mean, in all of her acting, you're like, this yeah. person is, there's a lot more going on behind the eyeballs than a lot of the other actors around her. Like <laughs> she's really thinking, you know, and so I, I love seeing her work. She is awesome, fantastic. And she does a great job in this of playing this character who is trying to break out of this very stiff shell. She plays the secretary of state who's considering a run for the presidency. And yeah. she's, you know, very type A and very hyper-focused. And Seth Rogen is the fun guy who kind of comes into her life and t teaches her to have fun. And yeah. you can see that she is thinking three steps ahead. Um, and yet he doesn't play it as the dumb fun guy, which I appreciated that she's not like, oh, to break out of my life, I need to find an idiot. She's, you know, he is smart and, you know, interesting. And so make their their pairing makes sense, which is something that doesn't always happen in Hollywood. So I like um, seeing that. Well, I'll add it to my list. It sounds really good. So what about in the news? What has been getting your attention? Well, I guess speaking of politics and the presidency um i was uh you know i take a little break from already writing to do a little dance party um when the respect for marriage act was signed um which i guess it may have been a slightly bit over a week since 
since the time of this recording. But anyway, it's quite recent news and um, just really beautiful um, to see that there's a step towards um, additional protection for LGBTQIA plus people and families here in the U.S. I mean, obviously it's, it doesn't mean that the part right? is over, but it's just, it's one more step. And it's, it's also really just um, heartening to have an administration that, um, that cares, so. Right. Well, and and seeing the the thing that was the best for me was, you know, the kind of testimonials of couples who were saying, this is what this brings to our family. We feel more comfortable now. And yeah. so that that was so wonderful to see. And then my favorite was, uh, did you see Cindy Lauper at the White House press briefing? No, I missed this. I heard about it. Tell me more. He got up to the podium, which is unusual. You know, normally they don't call uh, anybody up to the podium other than the press secretary or the president. And instead it was Cindy Lauper. And Cindy Lauper is like the most adorable human being in ever. Like she's like everything about her is, you know, she, she's, she was just great. And she talked about how important this was for her family. And so that was a really cool moment. Um, so yeah, I, I I loved that as well. That was a, a it, it's a nice change of pace to have good news. I was like, this is really great. Uh, a, you know, a, a civil rights victory that we get to experience. Yes, so yes, cool. it is. It is, you know, we're, we're due. <laughs> yes. Well, and that was, you know, my, my, my story is the flip side, which was yeah. the major announcement uh, this oh. week. I don't know if you saw this, but uh, uh, former President Trump uh, declared on, I can't remember which day it was last week, that he had this major announcement coming. Yeah. So here's this person who is a presidential, an announced presidential candidate of one of our two major parties announcing a major announcement. So everybody was, you know, on the on the edge of their seat. What is he going to, is it a policy proposal? What is he going to announce? You know, is it, what crazy racist thing is he going to say? Like, you know, I mean, it, it, it was... I was genuinely curious about where this was going to go. And he announced he was selling NFTs and, and their, their $99 pretend trading cards. And then Crystal was telling me yesterday, it turns out they just stole them offline. And so they, even on some of them, there's still watermarks. They used I, wow. like iStock photos. So somebody out there has paid $99 for a stolen picture that is this goofy picture of like Trump dressed up as an astronaut and dressed up as a baseball player. And it's all the kinds of professions that a kindergartner would think someday this is what I'm going to be. And here is a man who was the president of the United States. It's so absurd that, you know, we're just going, yeah, uh, uh, satire is dead. Like there's no way to eat <laughs> this. Like this is the dumbest thing I have ever heard. And it, actually took place uh and and so i have been getting a huge kick out of watching his fans you know once once you're in the cult you have to say everything he does is right you know you can't say oh well this thing's really really stupid uh because it all falls down really fast and they were trying to defend this and it it's just how do you say this was really the best use of a presidential candidate's time? Yeah, the, <laughs> the comedy really does write itself. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and 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 I feel sorry for people who are like, oh, how do I mock this guy? You know, by by satirizing him, he may do it tomorrow. Like there, there's nothing yeah. you could say that would be you know more absurd. So that's uh, that that amused me this last week. Definitely. I, you know, it is definitely one of those like truth is stranger than fiction type things whenever, whenever he sort of shows up, you know, I mean, maybe he's the epitome of Florida man. 
Well, and I'm, you know, I, I, I've got a friend who's a history teacher who has this really phenomenal rebuttal to the great man of history theory, which, so the great man of th history theory is the way we were taught history. And, you know, it's, you know, if we just study this individual and this individual, all white men who won these mm -hmm. battles, then we'll understand history. Right. And he says, we need to totally flip it and recognize all of these people as individuals were replaceable. That what really is happening is these forces put these people into place and we need to study those forces. And yeah. so his theory is not, you know, it, it countermands that kind of uh, thing, you know, oh, if we just could have killed Hitler. And he's like, somebody else would have been Hitler. Like the, there were the social conditions were there to create this. And so we clearly had the social conditions, you know, from 30, you know, 40 years of Reaganomics and, and you know, a, a rejection of the Browning of America, you know, and then uh, President Obama and, you know, this reaction that I did not predict, I admit as a privileged white person, I did not foresee how much antipathy there would be to a black leader. And then the conditions were ripe for the most cartoonish, absurd leadership, <laughs> you know, but people wanted to burn it down. And you saw it on the left and right, you know, the, 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 the left side was burn it down with Bernie and, you know, let's destroy everything. Let's blow it up. And who cares whether or not somebody can actually win? Like that was less important because people were so angry. Uh, and, and I, I understand where that comes from. I, I feel that, but gosh, the, you know, lack of pragmatism, uh, pragmatism is what went out the window and it was who cares what this person actually accomplishes and then on the right wing it was this person expresses my anger uh, and irritates the people I want to irritate regardless of whether or not it makes any sense for me and like yeah. watching it it was just wild and scary and and now it has become farce um, and yeah and yet, can we keep it farce? Or are we going to be right back there? Like, I don't know if the social conditions have changed enough. So, Well, it's interesting you're talking about sort of these cults of personality and how they can wane. Like, because I keep seeing people talk about, you know, oh, he's kind of being ousted by, you know, Fox or whatever. They're making way for DeSantis. I mean, you're right. Like, there is always another, another face. Um, so... Yeah, it's, it really speaks more to just the the ethos of the U.S. at this point, and and where we are as a as a people. Yeah, well, and at one point, I'm not sure who made this point first. It might have been David Plotz uh, over at he's he's not on Slate, but he's on the Slate Political Gap Fest. Might have been the first place I heard this, but that we may look back and say we were really lucky that it was Trump and not a smart version. Uh, that he was so incompetent, so inept in office, the things he wanted to accomplish were so terrifying. And yet things like the the Muslim ban, he botched it, you know, and that could have worked, uh, uh, you know, that, that the American people would have probably tolerated it. Uh, and yet, because he screwed it up in court, uh, that, you know, fell, fell apart. Uh, or, uh, you know, which is not to say that there weren't a lot of people really harmed by really awful, awful things that happened, but it could have been worse. And the one that I find most striking is if he had rather than sided with uh, McConnell on the second round of stimulus uh, during COVID, if he'd said, no, this is my time to buck my party, I'm about to go into an election and sent people a second check, 
that mm -hmm. probably would have been enough. Like you think we're that close to the line that we really could be experiencing a second term. And yet he, the, and this reinforces my friend Frank's theory, the forces around him were such that he couldn't totally buck the party uh, and, and do that. As much as he terrifies them all, he couldn't say, no way we're going to send everybody a second check so I get elected. But yeah, that, that awesome. scares me to think how close we came. You know, uh, I love dystopians, but I haven't had much of an appetite for them in the last few years. Oh my gosh, yes. So I wrote a dystopia <laughs> back in, oh gosh, when did that one come out? 2015, I believe. That okay, was oh, perfect timing. Yeah, and uh, and then there were students who were saying, you need to write the sequel. I really enjoyed this, write the sequel. And I couldn't, I couldn't put myself in that headspace in the time of Trump because yeah. the plan for it was, okay, I, you know, this, in the sequel, the world will get worse. And the world we were living in was already worse than my sequel, than my conceived sequel. And I was like, it's moving too fast. I can't write a world. That, the, the, the premise of the first one is, what if all the corporations came together and created these schools and the schools are oppressive? But oppression is hard to define, right? And so the the kind of oppression that, that they were experiencing, I thought was really terrible. And the premise of the second book was going to be the corporation, now the kid, the students go off to college and wow. one of them ends up at a university where they are teaching students how to be torturers. And right. I thought, oh, that would be, you know, we we need to reflect on how much we tolerated torture in the Bush administration so we never go back to that. And before I could even write the book, I had Trump on my TV saying we need to go back to torture. And I was like, yeah. but I mean, it sounds to me like it's really timely, but also like you have to take care of your own like well-being in this yeah. process as a yeah. as a writer. And not try and say this could be I need to, yeah, spend all that mental energy trying to envision something that's more nightmarish. <laughs> you know, if if when I was during the 2016 election, I was saying to people, I am genuinely worried about concentration camps. Like, I think it will get to that point. And so many people were saying, oh, it'll never, uh, never. Well, well, it's already we're, happened here. We're so. building them. We were building concentration camps on the southern border. And then they would say, well, no, but we're building them. So they're not concentration camps. They don't count as concentration camps if we build hastily made locations where we concentrate a bunch of people because of a single characteristic that they possess. And I was like, yeah, that's, well, that's a Japanese American. Yeah, like, that is the dictionary definition of a concentration camp. We built those, you know, yeah. um, but uh, yeah. And so to, to be able to say, I'm worried about this and then have it happen uh, that yeah. soon. I was like, I can't, I can't be writing. You're like, did, did I do this? I know. I know. Well, <laughs> have you heard the story of uh, Stephen King's The Running Man? Have you ever read that book? No, I haven't read the book. So, I, I me neither. And the the a film with Arnold Schwarzenegger came out when we were kids. And yeah. in the uh, end, he defeats the bad guy, and it's a happy ending. Great. In the that book is one of the uh, Bachman books, which were the books that King wrote when he was going through his his I believe it was withdrawal and and you know cleaning himself up. But they're incredibly depressing, and they're all tragic in the endings. And the end of that book, which I think came out in the early 80s maybe 83 something like oh, that spoilers don't count because it's been out for right. a decade yes, it's been out since 1983 so if somebody hasn't read it i'm about to ruin it for you. but the protagonist steals the 747 and runs it into a skyscraper Ooh. can you imagine then being stephen king you know 20 years later going 
oh my gosh, I was writing the worst thing that I could imagine. And also writing it with the heroic character in the cockpit and then having that happen in our world. Wow. I mean, yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah, right. Like, you know, it makes you go, you know, maybe I'll write fantasy. There's this <laughs> whole, there's a trend right now, right? Of like cozy, you know, cozy fantasies, like legends and lattes and all of this. And it's like, I can kind of get it, you know? Yeah. We all just need... We need low stakes right now. Yes, yes. Uh, well, my uh, I've been working hard on my own uh, sequel, and it's monsters. You know, vampires, yeah. werewolves. Like, I don't worry too much that that's going to happen. It might be discussed in a Georgia election, but it's not actually going to. <laughs> so, hopefully, hopefully. Um, <laughs> so, uh, outside of the news, what uh, what else? What else has been keeping you occupied? What about hobbies? Yeah, um, you know, lately, I don't know if it's like hearing all the Christmas music or things like that, but I've been um, getting back into playing music. So I, um, from childhood, have played piano and cello. Um, so I've been brushing up on those a bit, um, although both are unfortunately in a bit of need of repair. So, you know, and it's expensive making a little to repair. Bit... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and also the cello, like, you know, you have to really trust the person who's repairing it so um yeah and if you want to get on their calendar it's sometimes a bit of a wait so um but yeah I, I also have a couple other instruments um that I'm I'm still sort of like slowly learning that I've had for a little while so I have a hammer dulcimer and a mandolin basically like if it has strings I'm in and the hammer <laughs> dulcimer is such a cool instrument I I love and I wish it were used in more forms like you hear it in bluegrass and not enough it's a beautiful instrument so yeah. that, that's that's I mean, I'm although i'm here. sure you could do i'm sure that you know really wonderful christmas music with it but uh that's that's a beautiful instrument it's fun yeah i um i got it uh for a, a birthday a few years ago my birthday is like a month before christmas so that's kind of like what i started learning was christmas tunes on it but you're right it has it has versatility that i think is underutilized um it is a little bit of a pain. So a lot of people don't even probably know what it is, but it has like a bajillion strings that you have to tune individually. And they're all like double strung. I don't know the technical term for that, but it's like two strings that are the same pitch to give it more resonance. Mm. And so it's like, it's just so, it's so exhausting. Well, <laughs> Basically, it's, you've got it. a piano on your lap. Like it's the, it's the guts of a piano yeah. and you're yeah. the one playing it with, you know, and so it's, yeah, it's, exactly it's right. a complex instrument. And did your piano playing or your cello playing, you know, which were more helpful in learning that? Because it's not, it really is, I mean, I think of it as more like a piano, only with, instead of a keyboard, you've got the hammers, but you it are, is. you know. Yes, you're right. It is like functionally a lot like a piano um, because you're hammering. I mean, but but the difference, the, the way that cello helps me is, um, you know, on a cello, you can play a tune in G and you're on the G string. And then let's say you want to pop it up to D. So you just play the same fingering on the D string. You can kind of do that on the hammer dulcimer. So it's set up in octaves that are laid out across different bridges. And so it allows you to play in whatever key you want and you pop around that way. So they both kind of contributed to me learning this instrument in weird ways. 
Yeah, last week I was talking to Evan Morgan Williams. I, I am not musically talented. Uh, I, I I sing and occasionally, you know, uh, play play the harmonica. That's about it. I mean, it. that That's sounds musically harmonica. talented to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, but you know, compared to people like you who are you know play multiple, my brother plays piano, drums, saxophone. I mean, and because of saxophone, the reed instruments, he does any reed instrument basically. Uh, and wow. and he can just he's one of those people who can just pick up an instrument and noodle with it long enough and he gets good you know and uh and i envy that um but i was yeah. talking to evan morgan williams last week who plays the harmonica and the harmonica is similar in that you choose the harmonica by key and so right. you can't mess up as much <laughs> like, you know like it's a little yeah. safer if you're in the right key you're probably gonna hit a note that will sound decent with, you know, with accompaniment. Are you playing on your own or are you playing with uh, any other accompaniment? Mostly on my own, uh, just because I need to practice. But um, recently I've um, met some folks who love to play. So cool. we have plans uh, to noodle around together a bit more. Um, but yeah, I I actually really love playing in ensembles. Um, I, I never feel like I'm you know, so low quality, but I love like finding the harmony and just, um, yeah, making music with others. So that's my goal is to get to that point for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, and that, and, and then you bring in that dynamic of getting together with these other folks, which, you know, that adds a layer that makes it even more rewarding, I think. Yes, you know? absolutely. Like that um, creativity comes together and like little known fact maybe about me is that I used to be in a Celtic band. Um, so, you know, like I, I do love that. I love the just bouncing off of each other. And was it mandolin or was it, uh, 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 cello? What were you playing? It in was actually with cello, which is unusual. Like Celtic music typically is very like heavy on the treble. Yeah. Yeah. High. It's high. And so it was just this like, oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, like aspect of it. And um, it was, it was a lot of fun, honestly. We you would were play bringing it, like, the kind festivals. of Norse heavy metal side of Celtic <laughs> you know, into it. Oh my gosh, I wish. I wish it were that cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it sounds pretty cool, you know, Celtic with, with cello. That's, that's a good, that's an improvement. Yeah. Um, yeah, but how about you? Well, I have been super swamped with uh, publishing company stuff and edits of my next novel. But Yay! one thing that did kind of pull me away from that in a really healthy way was that a friend of mine, we've only met a handful of times, like, you know, but because she's super cool, I'm like, I want, you know, to call her my friend, uh, Amy Baskin. She's a prof at Lewis and Clark University. And she was nominated for a push cart, which is one of the biggest deal prizes you can win in the poetry literary world. Um, and so I, that made me say, I need to catch up on a lot more of her poetry. And so I, I went, you know, took some time away from my own work to say, I need to read her stuff. And that was very rewarding. So I, I would you mind if I share a poem or two of hers? Uh, please do. Please do. I would love to hear it. And congrats to Amy. If you listen to this. <laughs> yes, it's, I mean, you will see well-deserved. So this is one of the ones that I really enjoyed seesaws and other perils kick and push spin as fast as we can we laugh we're never getting off we're always getting off on cuts and scrapes our rough and tumble play 
wandering alone, unsupervised, hanging our heads over the sides, our knuckles scrape asphalt. We pull bark chips from our hair, find new ways to scrape our knees. We laugh ourselves silly until our sides cramp, and then we laugh some more. We will never stop the ride, only fools jump off and stay off what causes dizziness in adults. We could, uh, why could we once spin for hours? Now we huddle in the middle so we won't get as sick. Is it more neurological or psychological, this fear of being harmed? This going round in circles hurts more than the broken arms, the cuts, the late nights out with music under the spinning stars, replaced by the reassurance of steady early bird specials. When the tall metal slides are replaced with short plastic and seesaws and other perils are removed, it's the end of 10-foot-high jungle gyms, we will refuse to let them take our merry-go-round. We will stay on. When do some lose their ability to spin endlessly? You station tubes gape open from swallowing and holding back tears. We equalize the pressure. We hold hands across the divide, refusing to jump. Bodies pulled outwards, away from each other. Centrifugal force goads us to separate. Get off in opposing directions. It is stubborn or resilient to refuse to let go again. Let's do it again. Only fools stay on and still get off. That was amazing. I got chills. Cool? It was so good. <laughs> and, and do, I encourage folks, look it up and see it uh, because there are so many lines where you want to just take some time with two or three lines of it and go, oh, that's really good. <laughs> the way I, she is so thoughtful about the way that they are constructed. Yes, I, I mean, I love, you know, I'm, I'm sort of reading along here with you. I love how the lack of punctuation just makes it feel breathless, but the breathlessness changes context as it goes through. Um, it, that's just so cool. And I, um, it, it reminds me of, <laughs> it reminds me a little bit of this moment in my childhood. I mean, late childhood. Um, so I grew up in North Carolina, sort of closer to the mountains and we would get snows, sometimes big snows in the winter and um I we had a bit of a hilly backyard and so I would get one of those um sleds that was just like a just like a circle you know a yep. disc um and I would put it at the top of the hill and I'd back up and I'd run forward and I'd jump on it and go bop 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 down the hill down the terraces and just have the best time and then we had a number of winters without uh without snow and finally I was probably I don't know 12 13 something like that and it snowed and I was like here we go and I got the, I got the sled out and I put it at the top of the hill and I backed up and I ran towards it and then I screeched to a stop and I was like I'm gonna bust my kneecaps yep I I think I just became an adult yep yep <laughs> that's yeah it hits you fast when you really yeah. still hurt now yep yeah oh yeah that's I I used to play basketball a lot through high school never well but you know pick up basketball with friends and so i was invited to play ball with some friends from some of my colleagues from work and went out there and years had gone like a decade had gone by since the last time i'd played any actual basketball i was probably in my early 30s and no problem we went out there we played we shot around it was fine and the next day i was so sore and i was like <laughs> 
oh, I'm an old man now. Like, yeah. <laughs> I have to warm up and stretch and things that I never even can, would have considered when I was playing pickup ball in high school. Like, yeah, it uh, the, the, the knees catch up with us. The knees. That's what it is. It's the knees. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's beautiful. Uh, congrats to Amy. I'm going to definitely check out more for poetry. Yeah, it, she's very very talented and and the thing that so often I and I want to read more of her prose as well because one of the things that I find is people who are that thoughtful about wording often make excellent prose writers uh the person who comes to mind for me is Margaret Atwood yeah. I suspect Margaret Atwood if you you know cornered her she would admit she probably thinks of herself more as a poet than as a novelist and you i can read that in her books like she is really thinking about how does this sentence sound with this next one what if i changed this particular word and so i try and bring that into my own prose writing how can i be yeah. that thoughtful and careful about language uh but i i my ursula k Le Guin, same thing ursula k Le Guin loved poetry and did publish some poetry and i think it informs her prose so i've tried to yeah teach my students in creative writing like we don't just write poetry to write poetry we write poetry to learn to care about words <laughs> right right I mean you're you're very excellent at that I feel less excellent at that. oh no see I think your prose is really high quality and the trick <laughs> is you don't want to be thinking so much about it that it detracts from the story and so how do you you know, right. pull people through the story. I think you've got a real talent for pacing so that the story is propulsive. And, uh, you know, I, I love that about your writing and that, that's, it. you know, that's a, that's a skill to say, how am I going to control how fast this reader is reading so that the story gets faster and faster and faster? Yeah. I, I would like to think more about specific word choice. Like every now and then I'll come up with something descriptive that I'm like, oh that was nice but usually I'm just like what does he say he said this that's what he said okay <laughs> great that, that makes sense with this character and moves the plot great <laughs> yeah yeah well and you know you're the unrelenting is plot heavy like it's you know it's yes. what's going to happen next kind of story um which works really well in terms of the way the characterization oh no I'm talking about writing Shouldn't oh, be yeah. that. writer's not writing um <laughs> you can see how easily you know, viewers Wait. can see you this is how we slip into this like as soon as you know oh i'm Thank watching you. this movie now i'm thinking about how to write like it's okay but but i do want to say one thing about writing which is that the winter solstice is coming and there's something special planned for that Yes, well, thank you. We should tell folks. So we, uh, through Not A Pie Publishing, have been doing this fundraiser through the Alzheimer's Association for, I'm going to say four or five years now, where we write all day on the longest day. And so groups uh, come together. The, the Alzheimer's Association has created this fundraiser where on the summer solstice, people will knit all day long or they will do marathons or whatever it is that they do they'll do it from dawn till dusk to kind of explore that concept of of sundowning uh which uh, people with alzheimer's uh, experience and so we started the first few years just doing it on the summer solstice and we would start at dawn and write until dusk and that's a 16 hour writing <laughs> that's a long time to write uh, it's very challenging on the longest day and then and this idea came about via the Alzheimer's Association too. They suggested kind of jumpstarting your fundraising on the shortest day. 
And that's a great practice. So our dress rehearsal on the winter solstice, which is coming up soon, Wednesday of this week, uh, we will be writing from dawn until dusk, which is far more tolerable on the shortest day. <laughs> it's very uh, doable. Uh, but uh, And I know not everybody has the flexibility in their schedule to say, oh, I'm going to take a day off of work. And so some people will do it on a Saturday or whatever. But if you are interested in joining our team, the team is called Writing Against the Darkness, and folks out there can sign up, and the Alzheimer's Association handles the fundraising side. Uh, all you have to do is say to your kind of family and friends, hey, would you like to donate? Here's the, a button to click. Uh, I'm going to be writing all day. And then the Alzheimer's Association handles all of that. Um, but yeah, that's coming up. So are you going to be able to do that with us this year? So unfortunately, that's a work day for me. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it's really fun. And, um, I, I've sort of done it on alternative days before, cause it, yeah. it feels like for the last few years that it just keeps being the middle of the week. So it's really yeah. challenging. Yeah. Um, so, when you know, it was on father's, the, the summer solstice yeah. was on father's day and that really impacted who could participate. And yeah, for it. sure. For sure. But, um, you don't have to write all day to, uh, donate. No. <laughs> so, that's what I've done before and just sort of given moral support. And I have like a very lovely mug from the Alzheimer's Association. It's actually like great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They send you nice that. swag. Um, I do. But the, and, and for folks who want to participate, um, but you know, the, I, I think the idea of writing all day scares some people. We take a lot of breaks. <laughs> like, this is not <laughs> intense. This is not overwhelming. Uh, it's fun. The only thing that kind of, creates that team atmosphere is that we do a zoom call so everybody touches base a few times during the the, the you know mid-morning lunch mid-afternoon evening to kind of say how's it coming and and then people who are interested share their work at the end of the day once the sun goes down we kind of celebrate and collect our word count and then uh, people share out but otherwise it's it's just time to write and be with other writers and uh raise money for this is one of the things that's really cool. The Alzheimer's Association is invests in research, but also directly supports care for families, resources uh, for families. And that's the part that I really like. There are a lot of these organizations that just do research, which is vitally important. It would be wonderful to find a cure for you know breast cancer, find a cure for this disease, find a cure for that disease. But it's difficult to allocate those funds in a way that helps people if the cure is not found. Like, you know, uh, and sometimes the funds get misallocated because we are investing so much in, uh, you know, breast cancer research. And really what might make the difference is studying this other kind of cancer, but those funds have now been earmarked. Uh, and so uh, this one, I, I appreciate the fact that they are walking and chewing gum at the same time. And they're really mm -hmm. helping families out because- yeah people who are the caregivers for people with Alzheimer's, that's a lot to take on. And so those folks need all that support. So if that's something that you are interested in uh, supporting any of our listeners or viewers, please jump in there, join the team. The more the merrier. Uh, and certainly find somebody on the team that you want to contribute to because they would love to have your, uh, your, your numbers in their numbers as well. So uh, yeah, writing against the darkness uh, via the Alzheimer's Association. Okay, that brings us to our ad. I haven't even mentioned Doug. He's sitting here so patiently. So uh, Doug, the producer, quiet guy, as I mentioned before in the intro. Um, and so Doug's going to fire up our ad music. 
We don't have an advertiser yet, although our numbers are getting to the point where I'm thinking maybe we should start, you know, seeing if folks want to advertise on the show. But for now, we're still practicing advertising. Uh, and so, Doug, fire up the music. And Marie gave me the idea for this ad. So here is our ad for today. iRobot, the company that brought you the Roomba vacuum cleaning robot, is proud to announce their newest time-saving robot helper for your household, the Pumba. Instead of navigating your whole house with a complex algorithm, this robot uses a series of advanced sensors to detect and follow your dogs around the backyard, ready and waiting to clean up after them. Then it disposes of the dog's waste so you don't have to. And here's the feature that makes the Pumba so special. It can detect when your dogs are squatting and it pulls away from them and turns 90 degrees to give them some privacy. That's really essential for your dog's mental well-being and digestive health, because they do not like anyone to watch them while they do their business, even a robot. Warning, the Pumba is not designed for cat owners. If it follows cats to their litter boxes, even when it tries to give them space, they simply refuse and choose to go elsewhere. Also, in rare instances, cats have been known to train the Pumba to bring their owners to Pumba's results as little presents. So get yourself or your loved one a Pumba today so they will never have to clean up after their dog again. Your results may vary. Some dogs mistake the Pumba for a toy and that can lead to its destruction or much worse if it's already full. So make sure the Pumba is supervised by a human. iRobot is not responsible for damage to your yard, to dogs who try to eat it, to children who try to hide it, or to neighbor's yards if that's where you program your Pumba to relocate the waste. I'm sorry about that, Doug. That's, uh, oh, that's going to be some editing challenges there. Uh, but Doug's amazing. He'll make it sound decent. <laughs> um, yeah, Doug, Doug is... I really need the Pumba. I, I, I owe Doug a lot of thanks for uh, clipping everything to make it sound good. So thank you, Doug, for all of your work. Doug the pro. But I, I'm sad that, you know, Doug can't unfortunately have the Pumba because doesn't Doug have a lot of kitty cats? Doug's got nine is. cats. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, in fact, Doug gave me a list. I've got somewhere here of the cats' names because they're very creative and literary. Um. Well, poops and giggles isn't that was the fun that that was the one that I I learned about first was poops and giggles, is, uh, which is, I do think is funny. That one's edited for YouTube. It is not actually called poops and giggles. Um, right. But uh, let's see if I can find his list here. There was uh, more Christopher after Christopher Moore. I thought that was clever. Um, Virginia Cat, who actually stays in her room, which I thought was clever. Uh, so yeah, Doug, that's 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 a good bit. Um, but yes, Doug's got lots. Doug is a, a a very sweet. Some is it okay to say you're shy? I think it's a safe thing to say. Doug is a, a shy person. He's got you know he's behind the glass there, and uh, but he does a ton of work to make this sound decent. So people thank are just you for everything. More more comfortable behind the scenes, and that right. is where his strengths lie. That absolutely, and with his, I mean, nine cats. That's a lot of work in and of itself. <laughs> It is. It's very generous. Some of the cats. Also here. Yeah, some of them chose him. Some, you know, walked in. And then some of them, uh, you know, once you get the reputation as the person who takes care of cats, then people are like, I need to get rid of this cat. And Doug's like, yep, I'll take another cat. So <laughs> Doug's, yeah, nine cats. It's a lot of cats. Um, okay, so our next segment is haiku. Now, this happened uh, initially. The idea was that we would share like a word or a single prompt. And then one of our listeners, uh, Kelly, who writes uh, at PhoenixLily245 on Twitter, suggested haiku instead, which makes a lot more sense. <laughs> it's worked a lot better. So uh, do you have a haiku you'd like to share with our listeners today? Sure. Um, this is inspired by real life chili temperatures uh, here in Albuquerque. A lot of people 
do not realize that Albuquerque gets cold in the winter. Um, yes, a lot of people, I think, just sort of think it's Phoenix, basically, um, mm. and that it's always balmy. Um, but we are basically at the same elevation as Denver, uh, just a little bit lower in latitude. So uh, similar weather, just a little bit. I didn't realize it was that high up. Wow. Yeah, we're, I think technically we're a little higher. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you're far enough from the, you know, it's, it's, it's plain states, you know, uh, in terms of where it is in the country and mountains in terms of elevation. So you put those yeah. together, you're getting cold winters. Yes. There's a 10,000 plus foot mountain, like in town, in town. So um, what's the temperature now? You mentioned it earlier. What? Uh, uh, let's see. It looks like right now it's 28 um, it's and a little bit. Yes, it's it's warmed up. Um, so that's that's what my computer says. Who knows how accurate that is? But OK, so here's here's my Albuquerque haiku. <laughs> this is inspired by true events. Curtains on windows. Towels rolled under door frames snow tonight bring it prepared i like that bring <laughs> it yes that is good but yes that towels under rolled under door frames that's real like that's where you're going any time the tiniest bit of air that gets in i'm gonna be feeling well, it. it's true and also part of this is because i have a dog who has separation anxiety and yesterday he ripped off the um the uh what's it called um weather stripping oh that's weather stripping yeah, he he just like removed that from the front door, so the towel is there until I can go to the hardware store and get a new piece. Yeah, <laughs> and like of all the times to remove the weather stripping, this is not yeah. the season for that. Can you do that no. in the summer? Yes. <laughs> How hot does it get there in the summer? Um, there's usually a couple of days where it'll hit three digits Fahrenheit, uh, but not much. Um, yeah. it's it pretty much hangs out in the nineties in the worst part of the summer. And I say worst because I'm not a summer person. Uh <laughs> that's um, that's that's us too. I mean, August we yeah. get up into the 90s and hundreds and you know, that's but it's yeah. it's about 3-4 weeks. So uh, right. whereas our winters are a lot more mild. Right now I'm, you know, I'm all bundled up and freezing and it's probably in the high 30s, you know, I just yeah, don't I mean, legitimately chilly it's so. it's chilly but uh, i also the, the things you that a human body requires to generate and maintain heat are muscle and fat and i lack both those so i am <laughs> always just so cold my hands and feet are always so cold uh so yeah this even even the 30s and my family we're gonna go to new york city for new year's and it may be really cold on new year's eve uh and yes. Square, so we're trying to prepare ourselves well, maybe well hopefully there'll be at least some body heat <laughs> yes yeah we'll be packed in tightly enough and some yeah. years it's fine you know i mean i'm looking on the, yeah. the weather forecast and they're like oh yeah it's in the mid 30s right now in in new york city too so it might not be bad but you know we are weather wimps and so if we get a blizzard <laughs> we are not going to be prepared so we'll, we'll see good luck godspeed yeah. <laughs> So we do have a couple of haiku contributed by listeners as well. Uh, one from a former guest, Karen Eisenbray, uh, one of the authors that Marie and I both know, uh, nice. writes, I'm not a poet. Meter and rhyme elude me. I can't write haiku. And I counted it out. It is a haiku. So apparently the irony is that it is a perfectly accurate haiku. 
Uh, and then Kelly, who recommended this segment, Phoenix Lily for two, uh, 245, uh, who came up with the idea. This was hers. Overthinking mind. Chaotic, soothing routine. Poetry's balance. Love it. I like that a lot. I, uh, Evan Morgan Williams, who was on last week, was telling me that the last line or it's the last word of a haiku. There's apparently a word in Japanese for that called the cutting word. Mm. And so if that pivots on that last word, it's a word that's supposed to have more power. Uh, so I, I like the idea of the first two lines juxtaposed and then poetry's balance. Uh, those nicely done, Kelly. Uh, and mine for the week is less serious. Podcast hosting is a new gig, Doug. I promise. I'll get um better. <laughs> Working on the ums and us. Doug. <laughs> yes. I love it. Apologize. So there's a little gift for you, Doug. Okay, so your next book, I, I, I will not, as a publisher, be hectoring you too much to finish <laughs> it uh, promptly, but uh, it you know won't be coming out too soon. So in the meantime, what's something that our listeners can be doing to support you, to follow you, uh, you know, what, what you're up to these days? Um, so during November for NaNoWriMo, um, I focused a lot of my non-working time on solo book that I'm working on right now. So um, if anybody does want to support that, um, I would love to have them join my email list because I will tell them about it and I can send them like the first chapter if they want to read it. Um, but it's uh, so if if anyone was listening earlier when we were talking about um, Shadow and Bone or Six of Crows, uh, then this may be for you. It's a secondary world fantasy heist and I'm having so much fun writing this book although I don't quite know if I'm smart enough to write a heist so I'm, I'm hoping that in in revisions the smarts will come to me <laughs> I I am so 100% with you so my most recent manuscript which I sent off to my editors today like this is Ooh, present, but uh, yeah but the second about second half of it ends up being a heist story and I had never written anything like that and it's a lot more note taking, a lot more, you know, like you feel like you're the the either psychopath or detective in the uh, yes. series. Got the pin board, you know, like how yes. am I going to make this thing work? Um, <laughs> but I, but it's it's fun. The intricacy is challenging, but I think it's enjoyable to try and figure out how am I going to make this work and then very intentionally not work like here's their great plan and here's the wrinkle that is going to prevent that plan from working and how are these characters going to manage to you know survive the situation when the plans all fall apart so i i enjoyed writing a heist but did you what did you do any particular research i mean other than reading other good heist novels uh how did you think about that process of learning about how to write a heist Yes. Um, so I think there was some kind of like divine timing on this because um, I started writing it a while ago. I've been working on this for, I know this show is not about writing. Please indulge me. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> we can't escape it, even if we try. Um, so I started working on it a couple of years ago and I was really running into that. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and I then this just magical, I guess it was a tweet at the time, 
um, from Mary Robinette Kowal, just amazing, you know, Hugo Award winner, Nebula Award winner, Locus Award winner. She's like, hey, I'm teaching a class on how to write heist. You want to come join? And I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> Very cool. Um, so I attended the class um, and uh, I'll put a plug in for her Patreon because you get to go to writing classes through her Patreon at a certain tier. So um, highly recommended. Um, so that really helped me. And I think the thing that really like clicked for me is something she said during that class, which is that there are certain genres that are, uh, there are expected beats, you know, like in a romance, there's expected beats in a heist, there's expected beats in a mystery, whatever. I'd never written any of those things before. I'd just written fantasy, which is nebulous and can be any type of story. It's literally just the setting and the the magical elements or like whatever there's certain elements that are hallmarks of fantasy um not all of them have to be there all the time but and so I was like oh okay this is actually easier because there are beats to follow that thanks to Mary Robinette I now know yes <laughs> um, well yeah that how long was the was it the course like one class or a single class or was it it was one class and it was just on the beats, which is yeah. exactly what I needed. Yep. Yeah, that's great. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I attended a class from Eric Witchy, who's somebody else that I would recommend folks check out. And he does wonderful master's classes uh, as well as, uh, I actually don't know. I was about to say, I'm sure he does stuff for beginners as well, but I'm not sure about that. But uh, his, yeah. his classes are really excellent. And he did one on mystery in other genres and it was Lovely. you know it was eye-opening to me like oh yeah every and his one of his points was every story is a mystery story what is it your character doesn't know that they need to figure out over the course of this book this book or whatever it is you're writing and that was really helpful to me and i was writing the the ya dystopia at the time and realizing oh this story that i think of as how do i share this dystopic world that, that there's not enough energy there but if it becomes a mystery within that how does my character learn what's going on in this world and how, how is it a mystery for her that's what created the propulsive energy for the story and so the, cool. the same thing you know uh fantasy stories always i shouldn't say always but so often lend themselves to quests and there's nothing wrong with the quest but doing the heist plugging things in like a romance within the quest or a heist within the quest uh, helps because quests can get rangy where it's it becomes wandering and I don't want the reader to ever feel like and they're off for something and there's no sense that they need to get it in any kind of particular time and you know like the, the heist is it's got to happen in this way or they're going to get caught and so the the stakes are immediate and fun and yes Yes, I'm having a real blast with it. So thank you for indulging me and talking well, about and writing. I, and I did bit. have a question about that. Oh. You talked about it being second world fantasy. And I was like, yeah. that's not a phrase I was familiar with. I had to look it up mm. when I first heard that. What What do you mean by second world fantasy? Yeah, so, um, uh, so second world. So I guess what might be easier is something like Unrelenting uh, is set in the modern world. Um, and there just happen to be fantastical elements and that makes it a fantasy. Um, you know, you see a lot of, I'm trying to think of examples and there's like a bajillion and my brain is just out of my head right now. But, um, 
but secondary world, I guess the one that everybody probably is most familiar with is like Lord of the Rings, right? Where it's like, it's its own world with its own people and countries and okay. laws and magic and whatever. And it's like, you know, or Game of Thrones or whatever, like whatever it is, it's like, okay, well, we, I don't think have dragons right here. Yes. But, so this is, yeah. so when you say second world, you're talking, the distinction I would, the terms I would use for that distinction are epic versus portal, right? So, yeah. you know, portal fantasy is Narnia, like it's our mm -hmm. world and also this other world. And portal fantasy has some real advantages for the writer because a character from our world can say, and this thing <laughs> looked like a whatever. Yeah. And it, because they're from our world, they can describe yeah. that. And if you really lean into uh, sec what you would call secondary world, the characters can't say, and the car looked like a Studebaker because there are no Studebakers or you know, the, the, the dragon was roughly the size of a Mack truck. There are no Mack trucks. <laughs> so that it is, it is very, you know, who does that really well is uh, Miko Azul. Oh, yes. She doesn't even have, you know, there aren't chickens because chickens are things that exist in our world. There are these other kinds of small fowl that people eat but they have their own names because right. they're not chickens because there's nothing from our world in this world and she does a really great job of that without losing the reader entirely i mean it would be it's a challenge because you don't want the reader to have to go i have to learn so much about this world that i've lost the story so you piece out those pieces of information and her series does that really well where things come back so that you're like oh i do remember that this animal that was a variation on a chicken without ever being referred to as a chicken <laughs> is now the thing they're chasing or eating or you know whatever later seeing and therefore it was good that i remembered that you know <laughs> but uh right. yeah this was a relevant detail <laughs> right and deciding how how much am i going to make my reader invested in this world because if you go too much it's too hard but if you go too little the world doesn't feel developed and real and so yeah that's are you doing the tons and tons of notes thing um a bit i'm on the fifth draft now so at this point i kind of have it in my head um but um yeah you know it made me think about all kinds of things like um for instance so i'm, I'm calling it my social justice fantasy heist also because <laughs> it talks a lot about a lot about like classism and racism and um so there are there are different groups of people I guess um and uh the more able you are to fly the higher are you are mm. in the social hierarchy so someone who looks like you and me is like the lowest cast essentially um and so my my character is from the middle um and he has I call them glide sheaths but basically imagine someone base jumping or like a flying squirrel right but, but that's like part of his body where he has these flaps of skin and he can glide and I was like so how does he wear pants if like he can't wear something around his waist? <laughs> right. So I had to like rethink clothing. Yeah. You know, like of... that kind of thing really, um, that took a lot of uh, just critical thinking of my own world for a while. Um, I think I've worked out a lot of the kinks on it at this point, but yeah, for, for a while it was like, I... I can take nothing for granted here. I mean, I'm envisioning those. Uh, what's the uh, the the weird speedo that uh, um, the character that my wife, you know, like that? It's around. <laughs> it's over the neck, and then yeah, it's way, just like suspender speedo. <laughs> yeah, um, I did not think about that option to be honest. 
Yeah, good. good. It would the, the the book suddenly took a very strange turn when we learned about the clothing he was wearing, and I could just never envision him the same way. No, no, Lord help us. Okay, yeah, it, it's now you'll have fun. to make clear he's not wearing that. So this is what he's wearing. It's not that. Maybe this will be in the, the my 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 very own um, uh, fanfic of that yes. I write of my own story. How do you, yeah, that's, but you're right. It's a very real challenge. How would you, you know, figuring out kind of the physics of it, um, the, uh, the subtle knife, uh, you know, that series, the, what is it called? Yes. His, uh, his Dark materials. Pullman is his name, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've got it. That's right. Phil Pullman's. Yeah. Um, he's got, uh, this world that, uh, and that one's very much portal, but the, the character at one point goes to this world where there are these creatures that have evolved. This is not a spoiler for those of you. Well, it is for those of you who haven't read it. Uh, but it's really also, cool this book has been out for decades. <laughs> it's been out for yeah, twenty years. Uh, but uh, the the char characters have evolved. These sentient characters have evolved to hold on to like essentially coconuts, and the lava flows in their world are very flat, which are like roads. And they have evolved with these their secondary legs, arms, not sure which on the sides and then these other two that hold on to this thing in the front so they're basically animals that are also like motorcycles and they can zip around and thinking through the physics of how would that work how would that change their society how would it change their you know I, and i i really like that when authors take the time to think they don't have to look like us they don't have right. to be structured but it does have ramifications if their arms are connected to their feet they cannot right. put on a belt yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, you're not going to be holstering your knife and your belt like right. every other. Oh yeah, well, and I would think like... in that society, yeah, the, the amount that people carry becomes really relevant too. You know, your flyers, yes, go. Oh yeah, sure, I'm carrying forty pounds of gear or wearing a yeah. suit of armor or something. It is <laughs> so yeah, that that's I'm looking forward to reading that. That'll be really fun. <laughs> Hopefully I'll finish it someday. Yes, yes. Well, you know, that's, yeah. The, we've all got those projects where we're going, oh yeah, this is the the current thing. We'll see. Yeah. Yep. Um, and what about uh, other kinds of events are you doing? What's What's been going on that way? Because you've had some successful ones recently. Yeah, um, I found a really lovely local bookstore um, called Tidal Wave. If you are in Albuquerque, it's the cutest name ever for a bookstore. Yeah. Tidal Wave. <laughs> Um, and they are so generous to offer um, local authors to have booths at regular events. So I've had a few. There was one for Small Business Saturday. There was one recently um, for around Halloween. Um, and so that's been really fun to just get more into the community, uh, make some friends and sell some books and um and then also I'm going in with a few of my other friends locally on a booth at the New Mexico Comic-Con in January. So I'm very excited about that. Yes. Um, I think it's going to be a blast. And um, if nothing else, I'll just have a fun time nerding out with everybody. Yep. I'm working on a costume, you know. Oh, very cool. <laughs> Did, do you want to reveal what you're going to be going uh, in the costume or is that a secret? Look, I'm looking at it over here and I'm not satisfied with it yet. So no, I don't want to reveal yet because... Yep. I may scrap it and start over. Well, you should see if you can get on some panels and yeah. go, you know, in costume and and go share about your book because um that that experience of talking to readers 
is so valuable. I've, I've had, re, you know, folks ask me, oh, th this looks like it's in this genre. You know, does this happen in it? And I yeah. thought, no, but it could in the sequel or it could in something. <laughs> yeah. else. You know, thank you. I mean, people are providing. Notes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so, yeah, Comic-Cons are great. And I'm talking about finding our people. Like that's that's one of the most yes. fun things about it is you're hanging out with a bunch of other nerds. It's really great. Yes. So Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, and the other three authors that I'm sharing with um, locally, they're all sci-fi fantasy authors. So we all kind of have a, a theme there. So um yeah, and in fact, uh, two of them are also like debut authors whose first book came out this year. So, um, yeah, it'll be it'll be a good bunch. Well, I'm really glad you found those folks to support one another too, because one of the challenges that folks out there might not realize is when you're a debut author, you have a product to sell. Yeah, just one. It's very challenging. Yes, and it's not even the kind of product that people who want to support you can buy repeatedly. You know, right. it, it's, I, I yeah. say, it's not like having a, a convenience store that sells Snickers bars. It's like owning a convenience store that sells one Snickers bar. Yeah. <laughs> Although I will say the other thing that's been really great for Jesse and me is we share a Patreon and we decided early on that, you know, even though we probably will over the course of our writing career, pursue plenty of separate projects um, outside of our collaborations, why not? why not rise together and be able to cheer each other on through that platform? So, um, you know, it's very small right now, but it is, it's recurring revenue for us. And um, it allows us to make a donation annually to our favorite nonprofit, Brave Trails, going to give a shout out for them. It's a, a 501c3, um, like LGBTQ youth summer camp in California. Oh, cool. And it's like so affirming and wonderful. And I just love them and their mission. Um, Great but, um, yes, brave trails, that up. brave trails. Um, but also like, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's basically the equivalent of selling, I don't know, three books a month or something right now. It's tiny. And yet that's what's happening. And what we're doing in return is just giving them a short story every month, um, which is a lot less effort than writing a novel, <laughs> three, you know, a novel to sell three copies of every month. So it is, yeah, but so it's also good discipline for you. Like we've got to right. get this story out. Yeah. It is content. Eventually it's, hey, you know, of all the stories we put out, we could put a bunch together. This is a, you know, something that, that is uh, potential content and totally. you're reconnecting with those fans constantly. And that's really yeah. valuable too. So yeah, yeah it's been uh, I encourage people check that out. Get, get on the Patreon. That's a great way to <laughs> be connecting. Oh, yeah. And you'll there be ready when the sequel scenes. to Unrelenting comes out, which... Yes, there are some deleted scenes from Unrelenting. We even have a deleted scene from the sequel that we already trashed, but we liked it. So that's nice. already... That's an interesting way to kind of get a, a teaser. Like, yeah, here's exactly. something that won't be in the thing that you're excited yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> Hope you enjoy this scene that won't be in... This won't be so in. I like that. Like, why wait for the you know closing credits for the outtakes? The outtakes you get first. That's right, I'm sure there will be more of them. <laughs> yes, I should look at my. I've got hundreds of pages of yeah. notes of stuff that just nope that didn't fly. It didn't didn't exactly. work. I, I was looking at a piece last night that was a total kind of kill your darlings where I was like, I wanted to put this in so badly, and I really think it's well written, and I enjoyed it, and maybe there'll be. And I was like, no, this just doesn't. Yeah it's not the right voice for this particular right. part of the story. I have to let it go. So yeah, right. maybe I should, maybe I, I like a Patreon or an email newsletter. That's a great place to put that stuff so that people can still enjoy it and they just have to 
you know, just know that it's not there, but it's kind of a little sneak peek behind yeah. the scenes. Well, and it's nice for folks to recognize, like, you're the, you're the real fans. You get, you get a little more. So that's great. <laughs> diehards. Um, so uh, our next segment is our weekly poll. And so we put this up on the company's Facebook, Twitter, you know, everything and get feedback from people. And last week we had a really interesting question uh, from uh, Evan Morgan Williams about what was the most responsible way to deal with a social media platform? Actually, well, I want to talk with you about that. So first, let's hear yours for this next week. What do you think should be our poll? Uh, my vote is a little bit more lighthearted, a little bit more um, holiday cheer, but maybe not, maybe not lighthearted. I don't know. We'll it's it's Elf on a Shelf, cool or creepy. My um, and- uh, my family is Jewish, and we had. Uh, I just learned today that there is a Jewish variant called Mench on a Bench, which is pretty great. <laughs> so uh, yes, but is Elf on a Shelf. That one's cool. Creepy? Yeah, that one's cool. Yeah, I don't have that one. I have a uh, a little uh, thing that sits on the corner of a shelf that is. Uh, it's it looks like death. It's just this like black robed character, and then at Christmas it's the Ghost of Christmas Future. So you know, I'm 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 being festive. Uh, so I, I have it. Ghost of That's Christmas excellent. Future on my uh, on my shelf. <laughs> Um, but yes, is the I think the concept of Elf on a Shelf needs to be uh, part of that conversation too. The idea that this is moving around your house to let your children know they are being watched and judged all the time. <laughs> cool or creepy, efficacious. Yeah, so we will certainly put that one up tomorrow and uh, please weigh in on that. And don't just vote, you know, it's a poll. You could just click. That's great. We love your feedback. But also what is your reasoning? What's your rationale? That's uh, That's helpful. Uh, and then this last week was a good illustration of that. So our poll was, how do we responsibly respond to a social media uh, platform becoming a dangerous place, not just for the individuals who are on it, which has always been the case on all of them, uh, but really dangerous to society uh, at large. And uh, Evan and I were talking last week, he wanted it to be binary. Should, should we leave or should we stay? And uh, as we discussed it, he, you know, came around to the idea that this is a multiple choice. Like there are more, there, there are different options. So we asked folks, should you leave in mass? Is that what we should all do? Say, no, this is becoming a, you know, bad for our society. We're out of here. Stay and fight back. Stay, but ignore the trolls, kind of starve them for information in that space or other. And that was interesting as well, because our results were about half the folks were saying leave in mass. And it's important to recognize we're asking people who stayed, which means <laughs> of the people who are still there, half of them are saying we should have left. <laughs> <I'm out soon. laughs> Imminently. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, this, this is not this is a, a sample size that is uh not a representative group from our society, the people who left aren't there to respond. Um, then uh, about 38% said stay and fight back. Nobody said stay and ignore, which I found interesting because I have heard that uh, as a uh, potential response before, but that was not in our poll. And then some folks did say 12.5% said other. So I'm not sure what the, those others were. We didn't get a lot of explanation, but we got a really great one from, and this person's handle is insert profile name here, he, him, mouse emoji. So uh, that's uh, tweeting at uh, L2Pay. 
uh, and said, personally, I carefully curate my social media spaces to be safe spaces for me. So much like an uh, ornamental bloom, I prune regularly. And I think it's important to think about the identities of the people who are deciding about this, because if somebody is in a, you know, has an identity that makes them more of a target, I think they do have, I don't want to say the right, but they, 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 they get to respond in a way that keeps them safe and healthy. Uh, and that might be different from, you know, a middle-aged cishet straight white guy. Uh, I firmly believe in fighting back uh, because as somebody of Jewish descent, I am intimately uh, sensitive to the fact that if you let the brown shirts take over the streets, you will regret it. Uh, and so that's uh, something that I think about. But it would be deeply unfair for me to then say to somebody else, therefore you should do that too. Like that's not everybody's role. So what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I do think it's deeply personal, the decision. And I don't think there's any wrong decision for an individual. Um, and, you know, there have been times in my life where I am on the stay and fight back mindset of things. Um, so I guess I'm going to liken this a little bit to where I've lived in my life. So I grew up in North Carolina and then I lived in Texas for 10 years both of which um, have similar political leanings. And so I, I always felt, uh, you know, a little in the minority in that aspect of who I was. Yeah. Um, but, but mostly it just felt, I felt this sense of responsibility to stay, vote, um, do all the things, volunteer, um, contribute you know to trying to turn the tide which never got turned um and then yeah. in the yeah. 30s yeah <laughs> the, the, during the time the, i lived there yeah there are still people um, fighting in those very places absolutely. Right now. I want to and it's that. highly it's i commend all of that and it's highly worthy um efforts um in my 30s i moved to a blue state for the first time in my life and i was like you know i'm still voting I'm still volunteering. I'm still getting the word out. And also, I don't feel like my rights as a woman or as a queer individual are being trampled upon. And this is really nice. And it doesn't yeah. mean I'm not still an activist. And um, and so I think that's sort of where I'm landing right now is just uh, because of where I am with mental health and my current journey. Um, I, I think I am sort of landing right now in the insert profile name here, he, him, mouse emoji camp of let's prune this so that I um, I can I don't get necessarily distracted by, um, not that they're, not that it's a bad distraction, but like I, I don't fall into these conversations uh, there, but that I'm, um, because sometimes I do. I don't know. I, I feel like I, I'm one of those people who I love to listen. Uh, I, I don't lose my cool very easily. So I feel like I'm actually quite effective at talking with people with whom I do not share opinions. But like right now, I don't have the capacity for it. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's sort of that's where I'm landing right now. And, you know, maybe ask me in a year and I'll be in a totally different place. I have no idea. <laughs> right. Well, and I'm also really uh sensitive to the fact that people have different roles in this fight. Yeah. And so somebody like you who can talk with somebody who disagrees with them and 
hear them and bring them around is absolutely essential. And I can also recognize that's not my gift. Like I, sure. I you know, I do not have that. Uh, I am. And I also recognize that my kind of preaching to the choir uh, voice is also important, uh, you know, and so I will be arguing with somebody online who is a, you know, full on far righty. And I'm not really talking to them. I do not have any expectation that I'm going to convince them that I'm going to turn, you know, I'm, I'm uh, engaging in that to say to other people, see this thing that this person believes is dangerous, is harmful. And there are other people who believe differently. And maybe if you're so in their media bubble that you don't hear this enough, you need to hear that this is this is this thing that this person yeah. is saying is problematic. And so, yeah. you know, having different people engage in different ways is and the, and the right has actually done a better job of that uh, yeah. than the left. They mm -hmm. are better at honoring that different people have different roles. And so they've got their, you know, the the bombastic, you know, really out there speaker. And then they've got incredibly sweet people who are just, you know, lovely. And you're like, how can this lovely person be following this person? Well, they're all playing their roles in a movement and, yeah. uh, and, and doing that uh, in a way that is inclusive and is looking out for people. Um, we, we need to be, you know, thoughtful about how we can include others without saying you all need to fight the way I fight. Because um, yeah. you're right. Yeah. We all do have our strengths. Yeah. But I am well, glad that you are in a blue state and in a place where you are feeling healthier uh, and more supported now. Because, yeah, that it it's it's different to be an advocate than to be somebody who is playing self-defense. Like, that's got to be exhausting. Yeah. Um, I mean, I. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't I don't want to I mean there's things I love about um both of those places, a lot of people that I love in those places. Um and they're very dear to me. And also I'm very relieved to live where I live now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and the, the you know the the flip side of that too is people who are, you know, currently living in North Carolina, Texas, whatever, um and and doing that work are you know, heroic and but people who are living in Albuquerque and you know up the road from me in Portland and that kind of thing we tend to not see our own needs as much because we're like oh no everything's fine here well it's not and so yeah. you know doing that kind of reflective work of saying just because people are not being oppressed as much in the same way here does not mean that there's not a lot of work to be done yeah and I mean all of us are one federal policy away from a big change of any type so yeah yeah absolutely um well, so anyway, i'm not cheerful note <laughs> yeah yeah um well this is a nice this is a nice uh palate yes. cleanser here so uh the next thing is listener questions and uh so you have a a uh oh, this came in from doug doug brought <laughs> gave us this listener question favorite warm beverage on a cold day well also very topical for today. Right. It's right here in my hands. Um, I do love a decaf loose leaf Earl Grey. Um, a little a little splash of milk. I don't need any sugar or sweetener of any type, but but if I can, I don't have this right now, but if I can score um a dark chocolate dipped digestive biscuit with it, it's like heaven. 
and, and very British at that point, I feel. Oh, very, yes. You're basically having high tea, right? That's, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a dark chocolate th- th- biscuit therefore yes yeah, you're, you're, you're having tea with the queen at that point oh yes um, I, I have no class i am the exact opposite so like my uh mine is hot chocolate maybe with marshmallows maybe with a shot of fireball <laughs> yep and when i say hot chocolate i'm not talking about something that's like fancy i'm talking about the powder <laughs> that i you know pour Business. the powder in hot water <laughs> yeah. maybe some fireball yeah. yeah, love it. There's nothing wrong with that. I love a good hot chocolate. Well, on a on a, or really a bad hot chocolate, really amazing. Yes. <laughs> okay, so where can listeners find you and find your work? Yes. Um. So, um, the place I am most present, honestly, right now is Instagram. Um, specifically my Instagram stories. Um. So I'm at the Marie Parks. Um. But also, um. If anyone's looking for like actual information about books, uh, uh, Jesse Honard and I share an um, an email list, um, and you can grab that at um, MarieParks.com. Um, and our Patreon is Patreon.com/slash Jesse and Marie. That's J E S S I. Those to the notes for the show, so oh, people will be able to yeah. find those as well. Hopefully, on all of your various podcast listings. But uh, if you can't <laughs> find those links, hop over to another place to find the podcast, and you will find those there in the show notes. Because uh, yes, you want folks to get to check those out. Awesome. Um, okay, so before we get to our send off got some folks to thank uh thanks to the artist max oakland who reached out this is very cool reached out and offered one of his songs for our intro and outro so that's that was max's song you heard at the intro i prefer the dusk um let max know that you liked it by following him on twitter at max oakland uh thanks to halizna cco for their song kids for the ad break if you'd like to submit a song we'd love to have more of those to work into the song uh so be like max uh <laughs> thanks to doug the producer for making this show sound good and for taking blame when it doesn't and i cannot forget to mention writers not writing is a production of not a pipe publishing so please go to notapipepublishing.com, check out all the great books there including marie's um and then uh if you like this show rate and review it and i talk about this i know at the end of every show and i always will rating and reviewing not just of the show but of authors works really makes a huge difference so if you like marie's book click on that fifth star tell her she did a great job that really makes a difference for authors so uh, give her that review make her day okay and then i i know i talk too much so i'm going to make sure to give you the last word what would be the best possible send-off for today's show All right, everybody, stay as cool as an Arctic fox on an Aurora Brighton tonight. <laughs>